Recovery Elevator, episode 393. It did mean that um, every fun activity I did uh, after that point, it had to include alcohol. Uh, like this? Yeah, that should work. Mix down. <laughs> yeah, keep going. Yo, yo. Mix down. Three, four. Yo, yo. Wiki, wiki. Three, Mix four, down. There we go. Seven, eight. Wiki, wiki. Mix down. Guys in the house. <laughs> I love it. Wiki, wiki. Mix down. There we go. Three, four. Wiki, wiki. Wiki, wiki. Mix Welcome to the Recovery Elevator Podcast. My name is Paul Churchill. It is so good to be here with you today. On today's episode, listeners, we have Alina. She's 32 years old from Tiburon, California, and took her last drink on June 20th, 2022. Big time Alina. Listeners, if you have a Costco membership, I highly recommend picking up Fever Tree Sparkling Grapefruit Water. My goodness, that stuff is fantastic. Let's talk Fire Brew for a second. Fire Brew is concentrated plant-based vitamins with apple cider vinegar full of probiotics and prebiotics designed to rinse and restore the entire body from toxicity. Fire Brew has been supporting Recovery Elevator for over three years now. Thank you so much, Fire Brew. And at every retreat we have in Bozeman, instead of doing shots of booze, we do shots of Fire Brew. Again, thank you so much, Fire Brew, for your support. Link is in the show notes if you want to learn more. Thank you, Liz. Listeners, let's talk ditching the booze mindfulness for a second. Our Ditching the Booze Mindfulness course starts Tuesday, September 20th for six weeks. Times are Tuesday nights at 8.30 p.m. for 75 minutes. This course, taught by Patrick Foley, will focus on the practice of mindfulness and carving out space between the craving and the drink. The course follows the text, Pieces Every Step, The Path to Mindfulness in Everyday Life by Thich Nhat Hanh. Readings and practices are assigned each week. The goal is to examine our mind as we work towards freedom from alcohol. This course is included with Cafe Ari membership and is for Cafe Ari members only. If you want to learn more, link is in the show notes. Thank you, Liz. Listeners, one more thing. I want to say thank you to all of our Cafe Ari chat hosts. Y'all do an amazing job. Okay, let's get started. Today, I want to speak to the different groups of people listening to this podcast and give them each a specific message. When I started this podcast, I thought listenership would only be those struggling with alcohol but it's actually more diverse, which is a good thing. So here are the listeners I want to address today. We have those who are actively trying to quit drinking, those who have quit drinking and are in continuous sobriety, those who are normal drinkers, but are listening to support a friend or a loved one. It has come to my attention that doctors, therapists, and mental health professionals tune in to learn more about addiction and to be more versed in their own practice. We have younger listeners. We have older listeners. I'd say it's about 60-40 female to male listeners. So this episode is going to be somewhat rapid fire, so stick with me. Now this first message goes out to those who are trying to quit drinking. Those who are waking up on day one over and over and are experiencing an acute amount of suffering. This podcast is for you. Myself and the RE team get behind the mic and editing board each week for you. We do this because we believe in you. We do this because it also helps our own goals of sobriety. Keep showing up. Keep listening. Yes, listen to this podcast or other recovery podcasts and keep listening to that inner voice. Again, we believe in you. You will get this. As long as you keep showing up, so will we. I've got a message to those who have already quit drinking. Don't forget alcohol is shit. 
The ism or the incredible short memory can get us at any time. Don't look back. Ships have been burned. That old way of life didn't work. Now let's keep building the new. I've got a message to those normal drinkers who are listening in support of a loved one. Yes, yes, and yes, I'm so glad you are listening. The healing process is a collaborative effort and requires parties on both sides of the aisle to come together. The opposite of addiction is connection, and we need your love and support so much. Yes, we can be selfish. That's an understatement. Yes, we can create pain and suffering in the family, but please don't give up on us. Here's a message to those who are younger, in their late teens, 20s, or early 30s who are quitting drinking. Well, big bings get started early. Yes, it may seem that all your friends are closing down the bars and you're missing out. And maybe you are. But as the philosopher Nietzsche said, what doesn't kill me makes me stronger. And you are learning vital life lessons and building resilience. When the dust settles and your normal drinker friends begin to phase out of the party years, as they begin to marry and have kids, you will have acquired a unique set of life skills that your friends don't have. Almost like Liam Neeson from the movie Taken, who can kick someone's ass at any time, your unique set of skills revolve around presence, listening to your intuition, taking life as it comes, loving yourself and others. You have earned more applicable life experience. You're more grounded. Your roots go deeper. And also, be patient. Yes, I do think it's harder quitting drinking at a younger age, but with time, and each year around the sun, some of those challenges get easier. Time is working in your favor. Here's a message to those listening for educational purposes. First off, that's a badass move to actively search for a different perspective on addiction. Thank you for listening. So what is addiction? I feel they are adaptive behaviors to survive in unhealthy environments. Addictions are present when something is out of balance or not in harmony with our environment. I used to think addiction was genetic. I don't feel that way anymore. I used to think it was a disease. I don't feel that way anymore, for the most part. There have been tons of studies of twins who had alcoholic parents, and not much can be derived from those studies in terms of genetics. The last chapter in The Realm of Hungry Ghosts by Dr. Gaber Mate explains this in more detail. Okay, so how the hell do you fix addiction? Well, I can tell you right now, you can't incarcerate or punish it out of people since that's placing someone in an even unhealthier environment. It's disconnecting them even more. The $40 trillion war on drugs has only made the problem worse. Portugal legalized all hard drugs in the early 2000s and came at addiction with a more humane and loving approach, and they have seen addiction rates decline. Addiction, again, is disconnection. Now, there is a myth that the Spaniards not only brought the black stallion to America, but also firewater, and the native populations weren't built to handle or metabolize alcohol. Listeners, this simply isn't true. Native populations have been using alcohol for thousands of years. The Anasazi Indians in southern Utah used alcohol in religious ceremonies for millennia. Alcohol isn't hard to make. It happens naturally. And natives in North America had this knowledge. It wasn't until they were booted from their lands. Sometimes this looked like genocide, that addiction landed on the scene. Go figure. Most anthropologists agree that addiction is a modern phenomena. As in 500 years ago, it wasn't nearly what it is today. For one, beer would top out at 3%. None of this 8% microbrew type shit. Wines at 7%. And the technology of distilling hadn't been developed yet. Now, we have supercharged alcohol. And you can easily purchase a spirit that has over 50% pure alcohol and this completely hijacks the dopamine system. 
But the main reason why addiction is more prevalent today is disconnection. This is getting worse since the chemicals of connection, such as serotonin and oxytocin, aren't produced when someone likes an Instagram post. Here's a message to those who have already quit drinking. Don't sell yourself short and just quit drinking. Keep doing the inner work. Find your people and then show the world how it's done. Here's a message to all. Keep that thinking mind in check. The mind has 60 to 70,000 thoughts per day, and science shows that most of them aren't true. The mind, the Bruno voice, the ego, thrives in conditions of separation, us versus them. It lives in lack. So say, okay, Bruno, I hear you, but I won't be taking your advice today. Here is a message to those who are seeking love, a partner, a boyfriend, a girlfriend, or all the above. So check this out. On June 12th of this year, I married a wonderful woman from Colombia. How cool is that? I would like to do a full episode on this in the future, but in the meantime, here's what I got for you. Alcohol is the best dating filter you can ask for. If you're on a dating site, mention you don't drink. The more upfront and authentic you are with this, the more the authentic responses you'll get. It's an invitation for altruistic, authentic conversation. And yes, it's true. Party animals and people who regularly attend brew fests, they don't want to date you. But do you really want to date them? And look, it's not a knock on them. It's just not a good fit. So leverage the fact you don't drink. Probably five years ago, I tried an experiment on Tinder, where in my bio I said I was an alcoholic, took my last drink on said date, and if you're interested in getting drunk together, I'm not for you. I got way more responses with that bio. Now, you don't have to date someone who is sober, but it's a damn good idea you find someone who has a healthy relationship with alcohol. A message for sober peeps and those quitting drinking. Be patient. Some things will solve themselves with time. In fact, Napoleon waited three weeks before responding to all male because he knew that a lot of things just solved themselves in time. So this stigma against drugs, alcohol, and addiction is softening. In fact, I'm going to even go a little further and say the stigma doesn't exist. In addition, there is an alcohol-free movement taking place across this globe, and you're part of it. So what went down in dark church basements with coffee and cigarettes is now taking place on the beaches of Costa Rica, a.k.a. sober travel. Don't get me wrong, AA is still alive and strong. It's a great program, but there have never been more resources for quitting drinking than there are right now. In addition, there are more sober bars now than ever. People are waking up to the fact that alcohol is shit. I got a message to you normal drinkers. We all struggle with something. Let us know how we can help you. Here's a message to my sober peeps and those in the process. I'm not going to bullshit you here. This is a full rebirth. Embrace it. You're building a totally new life. Not all at once, but small steps every day. Some will come with you. Some will go. But you can't go back. You're locating that inner kiddo, and this time you're building a life of what's best for you and that inner voice. Listeners, not everyone gets the chance for a whole new life. All right, thank you so much for listening today, and now a word from our sponsor, BetterHelp, before we hear from Alina. Life can be overwhelming, and many people are burned out without even knowing it. Some symptoms of burnout can include lack of motivation, fatigue, irritability, and more. For me, recovery takes a lot of work, and when I try to do too much at once while also trying to just live my life, I step into the zone of burnout. 
When we get sober, we want to change many things about our lives, and that's inspiring. However, remember that slow and steady wins the race. If we come out of the gates too intensely, we may burn out. BetterHelp Online Therapy wants to remind you to prioritize yourself. Talking with someone can help you figure out what's causing stress in your life and how you can best navigate it. My therapist has been instrumental in reminding me that I can do it all, but I can't do it all at the same time. Having her perspective has allowed me to be more accountable to myself. BetterHelp is customized online therapy that offers video, phone, and even live chat sessions with your therapist, so you don't have to see anyone on camera if you don't want to. It's much more affordable than in-person therapy, and you can be matched with a therapist in under 48 hours. Our listeners get 10% off their first month at betterhelp.com elevator. That's betterhelp.com elevator. Alina, how are you? I'm doing great. How are you, Paul? I'm great. Thanks for asking, Alina. It's really good to be here with you on the podcast today. Let's get right into it, Alina. When was your last drink? June 20th of 2022. June 20th, 2022. That's about 15 days of the time of recording this. Congratulations on a little over two weeks away from alcohol. You just made it through a major American holiday called the 4th of July, sober. It's doable. How do you feel in these last 15 days? Well, to be quite honest, um, definitely a lot of anxiety. I take them just as growing pains. So I'm trying to embrace every day and grateful for every day sober at this point. Growing pains and embracing every day sober. I loved how you said that. Now, listeners, a couple episodes ago, maybe three or four, I mentioned, I would like to get people in early sobriety on this podcast. And I appreciate, I appreciate your authenticity, Lena, your honesty on that answer. I said, how do you feel with 15 days sober? And you're like, well, <laughs> there's been some anxiety. There's some growing pains, but trying to embrace the process, the journey. Now I do ask that question to all my interviewees or most of them. And sometimes I have two or three years and the common response there is, Oh, it's great. It's fantastic. Life is, life is great. But sometimes if it's early sobriety and you know, that could be 15 days. Uh, I would say early sobriety is anywhere within a year, right? Six months to a year, but 15 days, of course, I remember, I remember my first 15 days, first 30 days away from alcohol. I never want to forget that. And I love how you said embrace all of it because I knew that I was ready because whatever emotion came my way, I just said, yo, what's up? I'm here to be with you. I'm here not to run away from you. And yes, this is uncomfortable. Yes. Previously, when these cravings showed up, I did a different behavior. I drank, but now it's a different chapter of my life. We're going to do something different. So of course, yeah, there's a little bit of anxiety and we're going to, we're going to unpack all your story and your journey and and, and let us, and I'm excited to hear how you got 15 days away from alcohol. And I don't want to listeners. That's not chump change either. I know. So at early, early sobriety interviews, one day away from alcohol is the miracle one day. That's really all we're going for is just one day. And hopefully Helena, you and myself today and recording this, we're early July, July 5th. We're both going to log another day from away from alcohol. And, and that's the goal. So Helena, give listeners a little background about yourself where you're from, what you do for a living, your age, do you have a family and what do you like to do for fun? I live in Tebron, California. Uh, I'm 32. Uh, I'm a stay at home mom, but in the process of trying to figure out, you know, the other part of my life, other part of my identity, um, I have three kids, uh, 10, six, and almost five. And for fun, um, I love to work out. Um, 
yoga, anything outdoors. I'm a big outdoors fan. So like hiking, biking, anything like that. Um, I do love to read and I think those are my main hobbies. Oh, and I love to cook as well. Gotcha. Question is Tiburon, California. Are you on the water? Yes, we are on the water. We're on the San Francisco Bay. Okay. So I majored in Spanish. I lived in Spain a long time. And there's so many names in California of cities that are actually Spanish names. And Tiburon means shark in Spanish. Yeah. 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 I don't know if you knew that. I did. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Tiburon. So it makes sense. You're on the coast. Okay. Alina, I want to chat with you um, about your journey, why we're here. Let's talk about ditching the booze, getting away from alcohol. And, um, but first let's, let's learn a little bit more about you and your story with alcohol. When did you first start drinking? And you mentioned you're 32 right now, try to get us some dates or ages. And so we can chronologically stay up to speed. When did you start drinking? When did you realize it was a problem? Did you attempt to moderate? Um, was 15 days ago, your, your, your first go at quitting. Um, let's go for it. Yes, definitely. So uh, let me just give you a little bit of background information on me. Um, so uh, I, we immigrated here from um, Ukraine in 1998, and I'm one of, one of seven kids, and uh, I'm the youngest of seven. And my mom brought us all here. She was a single mother, and she brought us all here. And, you know, when you grow up in a really large family, um, there is some dysfunction, especially because my mom was a single mom, and there's just no way she could give, you know, all the kids, me, all her kids, emotional needs. So just growing up, I always had this feeling, um, just not good enough, you know, not smart enough, not pretty enough, not funny enough, just not enough. And, and so I had my first drink at age um, 16. And I remember it was just in the car with my boyfriend at the time. And it was one of those, like, I think it was for called for loco. It was like one of those nasty, um, alcohol, sugary, uh, energy drinks. And when I had that first drink, it was like a warm hug. It was like, you know, I felt immediately enough. Like I felt all the things that I didn't feel and I was just hooked immediately. And like, you know, one drink is all it took. And after that, that's when, you know, it started for me. Lena, two questions here. Number one, what order were you, you had seven, seven siblings. Were you the youngest? Were you the oldest? Yeah, I'm the youngest. Okay. You were the youngest, a single mom took all seven kids from Ukraine. Wow. And, and then I know there's a lot of listeners shaking their heads. Yes. And up, up and down with that first drink. It's a common response. I know when I had my first drink, it was this, wow, this is the missing piece. The puzzle has now been put together. I can, I can move forward in my life, uh, feeling whole. Right. Um, and so you mentioned it was, you were hooked from that moment. Was that as in you, you couldn't, you, you had to drink every day or what did that mean for you? Yeah, no, um, that, it didn't mean drink every day, but it, it did mean that um, every fun activity I did uh, after that point, it had to include alcohol. And so, you know, it was, it would be like, I don't even know, I don't remember at that time if it was, you know, a couple times a week, but I know it was never every day because actually my dad, he passed away from alcoholism and, you know, he drank every day. And I always had this belief that, you know, you're an alcoholic only if you drink every day. So, mm. At the back of my mind, even back then, I knew that, you know, I couldn't drink every day, no matter what. Ah, okay. So even then you had an idea, a stereotype, a picture, a label of what an alcoholic looked like. And for you, that was somebody who drank every day. So in the back of your mind, almost non-negotiable for you before yes. coding drinking was I'm not going to drink every day because I don't want to become an alcoholic. And I'm sorry to hear about your, your father. Was that before 1998 when you and your seven siblings and your, and your mother came to America? 
So he actually died in 2000 and he didn't come to America with us. So uh, he, I think he got a stroke. He had a stroke uh, around just around that time we came to the the States. Uh, But then two years later, he died because of the stroke. Okay. Yeah. Sorry to hear that. And uh, okay. Keep, keep going. Yeah. And so um, after that, every, you know, every party I would go to and every event drinking event I would go to, I would always be the one overdoing it. But I guess I didn't really see it as a problem because, again, I did have that stereotypical belief that, you know, you're an alcoholic only if you drink every day. So fast forward to, you know, a few years later, um, I still kept drinking and I did, you know, I did have a lot of really bad nights, you know, where I would black out or I would say some like really stupid things or, you know, just throw up in front of everybody And, you know, after that, I would be like, okay, I can't drink anymore. Um, Like, that's it. I'm going to quit. But at that time, uh, I had no idea what recovery really was. Uh, I mean, I just, you know, I just thought, okay, I'm just not going to drink. And that's it. One question there is when you had those internal declarations, I'm not drinking again. How old were you when the first, when those, when those first came? I mean, I was probably like 17, 18, because that's when, um, you know, I did start having the negative side effects of drinking, you know, whether it was like passing out or throwing up. And actually, fast forward a few years, I did have my first, I think it was called a wet and reckless, uh, just because I was under eight. I actually my alcohol limit was legal, but I was underage. So, um, you know, the consequences of that was pretty bad. I lost my car and my driver's license for a year, but it's still, I guess it still didn't really click, click. Like, you know, I do have to quit. It was, it was more, more like after every bad night or bad event, I would say I have to quit, but then, you know, I would pick up the pieces and be like, Oh no, I don't want to quit. Gotcha. Gotcha. And so was, and with these attempts to quit, were they just one and done? Like you did went 30 days or at a time, or did you attempt to moderate? What did that look like for you? No, I would never go 30 days. It was more like, you know, I would take a day or two to recover and then go back to drinking. Um, So it was never really like a real attempt to moderate at that point. Gotcha. So talk to us about your, your, in your twenties, you're 32 at this moment and there's a progression of alcohol. And I think you can agree where our tolerance builds. We, we find we need more alcohol to achieve the same effect as we did before. Right. And there's an awareness that's building with the progression. We're lucky if our awareness continues with the progression and the, the, the awareness that we can have at times is a, I have to drink a lot more than other people. And B, like you just said this, you were always like the highlight of the event that you were drinking more than your friends. Was there an awareness that was following the progression with it, with the alcohol? Yeah, um, there was definitely um, that awareness. And I would say in my twenties, um, you know, I, I went to college and I just couldn't, I feel like alcohol always took center stage. So whatever I tried to do, you know, alcohol would always win. So, you know, I went to college for like first two years and I flunked out of a lot of my classes just because, you know, alcohol was just the most important thing at that time. And I still lived at my mom with my mom at that time. And then I met my first husband and it was, it was more like just to get away from my mom because she was really against, you know, my lifestyle. So we fast forward. Yeah. When I was 22, I moved to Texas And that was a really destructive uh, time in my life. My 
husband at the time, he had a really bad pro uh, alcohol problem as well. So we were just sort of like fueling each other's fire. And um, I got pregnant um, and I had my first daughter. And those nine months, I think that was the first time, the real time away from alcohol that I had. I didn't drink for those nine months. And actually it wasn't really hard. Like I just knew, like I just can't drink. But as soon as she was born, I just went, you know, right back, right back to drinking again. After your daughter was born, how long did it take to get to right back to your drinking again? Uh, it was just a month, really like a month. And then, um, you know, I, I, I breastfed her and, uh, and I tried to like work around it and do all the things just to be able to drink. Gotcha. Okay. And you said you have three kids. I do have three kids. Yes. Were you able to remain alcohol free for, for all three pregnancies? Yes. Yes, I definitely, but I was resentful and I would look at people like drinking and feel like I'm definitely missing out. So, uh, so yeah. Okay. A question with kids. We had a cafe chat yesterday and somebody said, oh, I have three lovely daughters and yes, they're the reason why I started drinking. And they're also the reason why I quit drinking. How were the pressures or the stresses of parenthood related to your drinking and, and the progression? Did it ramp up with the kids? Yes, absolutely. So, um, when my daughter was born, um, I did get a lot of help, um, with my mom or from my mom. So I guess I met my second husband in 2014 and I moved away from, uh, from Sacramento. That's where I grew up. Um, and so I was just kind of on my own. And then I had two kids, one after the other. And uh, my husband worked a lot, like 60 hours plus a week. Uh, so I was just home with the two young children. And, and I, I remember like, you know, on a Tuesday, I would get really stressed, like Tuesday, Monday, didn't matter. I would get really stressed and I would just go and like have, you know, a bottle or two of wine. And, uh, and that, like that started happening, you know, at least two, three times, uh, during the week. And, um, and also I guess my relationship with alcohol really changed at that moment too. Um, it made me depressed. It made me angry. Uh, it made me black out a lot more and that started causing, uh, problems in my, you know, second marriage. Um, cause you know, my husband would tell me like, you, you definitely have a problem. Like this is not normal. But um, I guess I, I still didn't release. I mean, I knew that was not normal and I knew I didn't want to keep doing that. But, um, but, you know, again, I still had that belief that because I'm not drinking every day, even if it's every other day, like I don't have a problem. Okay. I was just about to go back to that rule that you set for yourself. I'm not drinking every day. We know, or if you've, if you've been in recovery for a while, it's almost a yet scale. I'm not drinking every day or an until scale until this happened or until this date did you get to the point where you were drinking every day? No, no. So I, I still never got to that point. And I think that's probably why it took me, uh, you know, longer than it should have to get to, uh, to this point. But I think the big turning point for me happened in, um, on July 4th, 2018, I had a big uh, party at my house. It was, you know, probably around 50 people or more. And, um, and I started drinking and I was really stressed getting ready for the party. And so I started drinking probably like 9am and the party started at noon. And so I was drinking and then people came and I was drinking more. And, um, and I got, it got to a point where like, I, I blacked out. I actually don't remember, you know, I was walking around talking to people, doing all the things, taking care of my babies. And I didn't remember a thing. And the next morning I woke up and I was just like, I, I saw pictures the next day from the party and I had no recollection or memory of that. And, um, and I was just completely terrified. And so 
that, that was the decision. That was the day that I made the decision that I'm like, I definitely need to do something different now. Um, I just can't keep doing this. And um, I went and I got Annie Grace's book. Um, actually, I got an audiobook and I listened to it probably like four times in the first couple of weeks. And I think just uh, all the things that, you know, were in her book, all the truth bombs that that was really made me think different about recovery and what it really means. And that's when the journey really started for me. Okay. And listeners, she's talking about, or Lena's talking about This Naked Mind by Annie Grace. Fantastic book. Yeah. I, I remember when I read that and full of highlights, full of post-it notes. It's like, wow, this is, this is fantastic. And I think when we're ready, that is a good book. I, I do agree with you, but I think when we're ready, really any piece of literature that we pick up will resonate with us. I remember I pulled a book off the shelf on January 1st, 2010, when I went um, almost two and a half years away from alcohol, I pulled a book called Beyond the Influence by Beyond the Influence by Catherine Ketchum. And it just hit and it hit because I was ready. I was ready to quit drinking. I had enough pain. And it sounds like after that July 4th, 2018, it scared you, right? You were blacked out the whole day. You saw the photos and the next day you said something has to change. And right now, um, you know, we're, we're four years later and on July 4th, you just hit 14 days of sobriety. We're on July 5th right now. That's, that's 15 days. So walk us through from that July 4th, 2018 to this July 4th or, or this period in the, in the four years, what was that journey like? Did you log your, is 15 days, the record right now for you of continuous sobriety time or yeah, what did that look like for you? So I, I, after that point, so after I read Annie Grace's book, I thought that's going to be it. I'm going to quit. But, um, you know, as most of people know, I guess that uh, recovery is not a straight line. And, um, you know, I, I tried to moderate, you know, at first I, I said, okay, I'm just going to have one bottle of wine a week. You know, then I'm like, okay, maybe I could have seven, uh, one drink every day, but not every day, but just like have all the drinks that I could have per week in one day. So I tried different moderation techniques. And it typically, you know, it would work for some time, but then I would overdo it occasionally. And then I, again, go down that shame spiral. So I did that for the first three years, I guess. Yeah. First three years. And then I started seeking out podcasts and, you know, YouTube videos and just doing, uh, diving into all the recovery work. And so I joined Cafe RE in, um, I think it was March, 2021. And, um, and the longest, um, after that, the longest sobriety streak I had was six weeks. Oh, okay. Okay. I want to go back to this naked mind by Andy grace real quick. Fantastic book. Don't get me wrong on that listeners right now. Again, I, I love that book. I quote it in my book, alcohol is shit. One thing with recovery, there's an episode that, that came out a couple of weeks ago called don't make this mistake when quitting drinking. And that is just quit dr quitting drinking. So Andy grace, this naked mind is full of knowledge. It's full of value bombs, truth bombs, but it's, it's kind of, it's light on the action. However, I feel it's a great entry point for a lot of people because knowledge is power if you do something with it. But I, I, I want to warn readers almost, there's a lot of literature out there, a lot of programs that is just read this and you'll be good. And I feel that relying solely on reading yourself out of an addiction or thinking yourself out of an addiction is going to, A, it's going to be, your, you're going to be selling yourself short right there. There's a whole nother community. There's a whole nother world out there waiting for you. I haven't really formulated those thoughts too well saying that on the podcast, but I do recall it, it's good to put some action into, into your recovery, which sounds like, it sounds like you did. Um, and one thing about moderating, I don't know about you, Alina, but the hardest part about moderating for me, and of course I went through this phase was I couldn't drink 
like I wanted to drink and, and it cued the shame spiral because I remember a couple of times I'd buy a bottle of vodka and dump out half of it in the, in the sink. Like, all right, dude, this is all we're going for today. You know, this moderation plan is going to work. And I would drink the bottle or half the bottle of what I had left. And then later that evening, I'd find myself driving drunk to the same liquor store to buy the exact same gosh darn bottle. What was the hardest part about moderating for you? Yes, I, I had those moments as well. Um, and it's definitely the mental obsession. It's, uh, it's like, you know, I would go sometimes even a week, sometimes two weeks of not drinking, but I would constantly think about drinking. And I feel like it took so much of my mental space. And, you know, I would not be living during that week or two weeks you know, I would just be thinking constantly about alcohol and looking forward to the day when I can drink. So it's like, yeah, you don't have the freedom from alcohol when you're moderating. And, um, and I think doing that for a few years, it made me realize that it, it just has to be, you know, cold turkey for me. And I'm also one of those people that I can't, um, I can't just have one drink. Like there's just no point for me in having one drink. And so, you know, I would, in trying to moderate, I would save all those drinks that, you know, all the days that I wouldn't drink, I would save it for one day. And then eventually um, something, you know, I would go overboard and I would be right back where I started. Yeah. Lena, there's something you said that I want to unpack. You said it, it, I wasn't living, right. You're just focusing on the next time you could drink now the recovery. This, this is life and death, right? Um, I, I feel like if you, if you go down the road long enough with alcohol, if you let the progression go long enough, it is a matter of life and death. I mean, physically your liver will shut down and you can test this in one night. Many people do alcohol poisoning and, and people unfortunately perish on, on a legal drug we have in America. But the way that I want to take that is it's life or death is, and you're not living. And I recall the same thing you, that you said, I, I would create these moderation calendars where I would allow myself to drink three days a week. I would post it up on the door. There was like Sharpies, red colors everywhere. And I would just look at that. And be like, well, today, tomorrow, the next day, those are bunk. Those are, those are just going to be shitty days because I can't drink. But Friday is going to, or whatever day is going to be the day. And you're right. I, I wasn't living those days. It was like just half, half of the week was a shit week or more than half the week, right? If I'm only drinking three days a week. But, and that, that, that plan worked for a couple of weeks until I, I found a loophole in the plan. I would just double, if I, if I allowed myself three days per week, Alina, I would book in or I'd stack the day. So I'd go six days in a row, but then I'd have to go eight days off. And I'd like, I mean, I think I made like five days of the eight and I was like, screw this. I ripped the, ripped the piece of paper off the door, cue self-shame, cue spiral. And, and then there's like the feeling of loss of control, which I think is the most shitty part about a drinking problem is when you hit those moments where you have enough internal promises are not met. There's enough non-negotiables internally that are not met there's this feeling of loss of control of, okay, I no longer have control of this. Right. And it sucks. It's shitty. It's scary. And I, I had a failed suicide attempt in 2014 because I had such, I had such an attempt or such a feeling of loss of control. It was this feeling of like, well, fuck, like I, I can't, I can see the writing on the wall. Might as well yeah. just be proactive with this. Did you ever have a feeling of loss of control? Yes, definitely. Um, I would say uh, we, so during the pandemic, in October of 2020, um, we went to we went to Mexico for two weeks. So you know, where we, in Mexico? Cabo. Okay. Yeah. So we um, 
the kids were out of school. And so we thought, you know, it would be a great place to social distance. Uh, so we just booked, uh, you know, a hotel for two months and we went there and it was an all inclusive resort. And so uh, at that time, I'm like, well, I'm on vacation, but it was a two month vacation. So, you know, I, I would go for like, you know, I had like three weeks where I would be drinking every day, you know, probably like a bottle or more of wine every day. And, you know, I, I did get to a point where I just, I had a lot like sense of loss of loss of control. Like I wasn't enjoying the vacation anymore. I just felt depressed and I was in a really dark spot. Like I, I felt like I did not want to keep living this way anymore. And then, you know, after those two weeks, I'm like, well, I got to, or three weeks, I got to get myself out of this hole. So I would try to moderate again, but again, it was just so, it took so much of my mental energy that it was, it was just miserable. Yeah. And, and back to the moderation, Alina, a lot of my self-worth was tied with that. And if I didn't hit those goals of the moderation, which I never did, it was the, it was a shame spiral. Now you said, you say two months vacation in Cabo. Is that what you yes. said? Yes. I don't know why I asked where I, I love Mexico. I think that's one of the coolest countries in, in the world. I don't think it matters where you're at. If the tequila is the tequila is the same as in Cabo does in, in Puerto Vallarta. But <laughs> I, I think one of the issues that's going on, why addiction is, is ramping up the core reason I do feel it's environmental, right? We're, we're growing up in a more disconnected world than ever. But another part of this is access to it, which, which, which is not a good argument of why addiction is on the rise. But you, you know, hundreds and hundreds of years ago, we just didn't, you wouldn't walk into a hotel room, open the cabinet and have four options of hard alcohol and probably three options of three of them were tequila. You just didn't have that stuff. And, you know, our dopamine systems aren't wired for that. It's human nature. If we're, if we're faced with a difficult challenge of if you could choose option A, which hurts or option B that hurts worse, we're always going to choose option A. And it's hard. It's just the life stressors. I'm, I'm reading this. You're an immigrant from Ukraine. And I want to talk to you later about that. You moved here in 90, 1998, one of seven children, um, COVID, you got kids, you're on vacation. There's a voice that says, this is what you should be doing. And you open up the closet or whatnot, this all-inclusive resorts. I mean, it is a, it's a challenge to stay sober, but I feel like in 2022, we're just bombarded with things that just blast our dopamine systems, whether it's alcohol in your room, you're going to leave the room and then there's the, there's the hotel bar and whatever, but then there's your screen, there's the sugar, there's, there's just a lot. And I'm just saying this to you and myself right now and listeners is it's okay to get your ass kicked in 2022 right now, because it's hard for human beings. There's there's capitalism behind that. I'm kind of going off on a rant here right now, but um, yeah, wait, at the end of that, at the end of that two month vacation, what happened after that? And then walk us up to June 20th of, of 2022. Yeah. So um, after that vacation, um, I came home and I, you know, I decided that's it again, once again, I said, I'm not going to drink anymore, but you know, I, I found myself, you know, in that same space again, uh, just, you know, trying to moderate and, and drinking and, um, and doing all the things. And so, you know, and I was not happy. I was depressed and I kept seeking out, you know, I'm like, there is a better way to do this. And, uh, so I heard, so fast forward a few months, I, I did that for a few months and then I found cafe RE and I, I joined the group and, you know, I would post in all the chats and join all the meetings and I think that was definitely the game changer for me. You know, it was the connection. I, I did not have that, you know, that connection because everybody around me drinks and, um, and it's, you know, it's normalized. And so 
I think I just, I started learning more about recovery and addiction and cafe RE than I did up until that point. Hmm, okay. And how did it feel when you joined cafe RE and listeners, this is our private online unsearchable Facebook group community, but it's more than just a Facebook group. But how did you feel when you joined a community with others who have the same common goal in mind, whether it's cafe, yeah, yeah cafe or how did that feel? Um, I just, I guess I didn't realize that there were so many people just like me, like that whole thing about not feeling good enough. I think it also manifested when I, you know, when I couldn't stop drinking or that I would, you know, drink more than others, or I couldn't drink normally, but connecting to all the people that, you know, I could tell that they were, or they were like me or, you know, they had the same problem as me. Um, I guess that kind of made me feel better because I'm like, well, I'm not alone in this. And yes, maybe I'm not a normal drinker, but there's, you know, a lot of not normal drinkers out there. Sure. Whether it's AA, cafe, or smart recovery, a forum or a board or a Reddit, Reddit page, right? I remember logging on for the first time or going to AA for the first couple of times, just the feeling, oh, okay, I'm not the only person in the world that struggles with this like the voice inside my mind is telling me just that it made me feel so good. So walk us, did, did something happen June 20th? Was there another rock bottom moment? And, and I hear you when you said, I told myself for the thousandth time, I'm no longer drinking again. I know a lot of listeners were like, yep, yep, yep. What happened on June 19th, shall we say? So actually, yeah. So June 19th, I came back from a vacation, um, from Mexico with my husband and I, I didn't drink at that vacation on that vacation at all, but I was, I was kind of miserable the whole time. Like I was just not happy. And, um, and so when I came home, I was like, well, I guess I'll just have, you know, a bottle of wine. And I think I had probably like five glasses of wine. I, I had one bottle and then some, and, uh, it just took me down a really, really like dark road. Um, I was really depressed. I felt kind of that same feeling like I felt in Mexico in 2020, just like I, I'm losing control. Um, I'm, I'm so depressed. Like I, I don't want to live anymore. I don't want to, you know, do this anymore. And um, and so that brought me to June 20, uh, yeah, June 20th. And I guess you know, I, I started amping up my recovery. Like I would join all the chats and, you know, try to post, um, on, um, our uh, like recovery elevator chats. And, and I think that, you know, that was really helpful. I think that got me to two weeks and I know that's not long, but it's longer than I usually have. Yeah. Two weeks is fantastic. And I want to ask you about the anxiety within these two weeks, because a lot of listeners, I wish I knew this, demog- this this percentage, Alina, of how many are sober and how many are not. I do know probably 10 to 15% of listeners right now are listening out of support of a loved one who struggles with alcohol. What's up, normal drinkers? Thank you for your support. But Alina, I know there's a lot of listeners right now that aren't sober. They're thinking about it. It's an idea. But the thought of going through a couple of days without alcohol and facing that anxiety, it's, it's just too much. So how do you get through it? What's it been like? What advice do you have to listeners who, who have that same dilemma. Yeah. I mean, I, I look at it as it's uh, sort of like I'm playing a video game and I have to get through this level to get to, to the new level. And it is, it is really difficult at times, but it does always pass. You know, I do notice that like I meditate and that always helps me. Um, even if it's just, you know, five minutes, uh, it, it does sort of bring it down. Or if I, if I'm in a really bad anxiety spiral, I'll go for, you know, a 30 minute run 
and that takes it away. But I do see it as um, like, this is just something I have to, you know, this is the dark tunnel I have to get through to get to see the light. Yeah, I love it. In life in general, we can pull it back to a video game. <laughs> I like that. So when you get to that next level, was there a feeling of accomplishment? Like, you know what? I didn't think I could do this, but check it out. Yeah. And another thing too, um, I think I am just a naturally anxious person, uh, but I've just been, you know, numbing it out with alcohol for so long that, um, that now I feel like I just have to, I, I just have to feel it and get through this, you know, and then find a way how I can address it. Um, you know, I am thinking of maybe seeing a therapist or getting some help for my anxiety, but, um, you know, it's just that alcohol was kind of numbing it until it wasn't anymore. Sure. Yeah. Alina, it's something you've learned about yourself along the way, which is a question on the sheet is you're, you're kind of a, a, an anxious person. And so am I, I remember before going to pop Warner football practice, ages eight to 12, I'd get anxiety before that. And I wasn't drinking at that age, right? I'm just kind of naturally kind of high strung or whatnot. But for you, apart from that, like, what have you learned about yourself uh, along the way? I think I learned that at the end of the day, alcohol doesn't solve anything, um, but it does, you know, it just makes things worse. And um, I'm also, you know, I'm trying, I'm in the process right now of trying to figure out like what I want to do for work and, you know, where I want to take my career, which direction. And I do know that alcohol just cannot be a part of it. Like if, if I want, it's like that quote that we say in recovery, that addiction is giving up everything for that one thing while recovery is giving up that one thing for everything. Yeah. And that is, that is really, really true for me. Um, I think uh, maybe, you know, all these years where I was trying to quit and moderate, I think the reason that uh, recovery or, you know, I couldn't get quite as many AF days is because my reason was not strong enough or good enough. It was mostly because I was ashamed of something I did or the hangover was really bad. But now I just know that I cannot, um, I cannot live the life that I want while drinking. It's just, it's just impossible for me. Yeah. Lena, I like what you said there about the career and you can't live the life you want to live with alcohol before I quit drinking. I typed this up in green font, cut it out. It was large taped it on my wall. It said, Hey, Paul, if you want this, you can't have that, this alcohol, you can't have that hopes and dreams and goals. And if you want that hopes, dreams, and goals, you can't have alcohol. And it simplified the whole narrative. It was almost like this math equation with no judgment. It's like, Hey, Paul, you can drink my man. You can do it, but you can't have that hopes, dreams, goals, aspirations, family, kids, wife, job, surfing. Awesome. You know, fun, loving pet dog, all that stuff. You just can't. And I look at it like that. I'm like, uh, okay, that's an easier equation. And there's one more thing I want to mention to listeners. We talked about July 4th, 2018. Here we are 2022 with 15 days away from alcohol. And some listeners might be saying, wow, what a journey. And I do want to say, you know, you didn't walk into the woods in a day. It didn't take you a day to walk in. It's going to take you a while to walk out. This is the more, this is a more regular journey away from alcohol that I see. This is exactly what it looked like for me. I quit many, 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 many times before before the last one stuck. And I also, I'm not even saying I'm quitting forever. I'm not, it's, it's still just today. You know, I don't quite, I'm not like a one day at a time. I don't repeat that mantra over and over, but I still, it's, it's only for today. You know, how, how do you look at your journey right now? I mean, are, are, and this is something different about this last 15 days. Yes. Something is definitely different because 
you know, I just, I guess I just realized and trying to moderate and, you know, I did have like six weeks sober and like, you know, I had a month sober and I had like a couple, two weeks sober many times. And, you know, I think those first few days are just really hard to get through. Like those are the hardest days. But then, you know, when I go back to drinking, I just set myself back and, you know, it's just, I don't know. I feel like I'm not really living my life when I, when I keep doing this over and over again. And I've, you know, I've done this long enough uh, to, to know that for sure. And, you know, I do know that um, also doing all this recovery work, it's ruined drinking for me forever. Like, even if I wanted <laughs> to go back out and drinking, like, first of all, I know what it does to your brain. I know what it does to your body. Um, you know, that image I have, I think I heard this from Annie Grace um, or maybe somewhere else, but that, you know, it's ethanol, it's the same stuff we put in our car and like drinking it now, even, you know, on June 19th, when I had that wine, I mean, I was drinking it and I was like, man, this is so gross. Like, why, why am I drinking it? So, so I think all of this recovery work that I did uh, is not in vain, Um, you know, despite me not being able to get, um, you know, to a year or whatever, it's a journey, you know, it's not, it's not a straightforward path. Um, you know, we have ups and downs, just like everything in life. But definitely, I know what I know, and I cannot, I guess, unknow that. Sure. Yeah. It, it's it's a great phase when we get to the point where alcohol is ruined for us. And I think everybody hits that. It's just, it doesn't work. And once we have the awareness of what alcohol is doing, and, and some of the information is beneficial, knowing what it does to your brain, your body, your mind, your heart, your soul, your spirit, all that stuff it doesn't work and we can't, we can't drink it with impunity because the shame, there's this bigger voice that shows up. It's like, come on, Alina, come on, Paul. Like, and eventually sometimes you don't need to fire your rock bottom. It can be you're sick and tired of being sick and tired. And Alina, I want to ask you a question about, I think you said, you know, you're the youngest of seven, you don't feel like you're worth it. Is that what you said? Yeah. Or just not just having that feeling of not good enough. Oh, okay. Okay. Did that voice show up when we scheduled this interview? I, I, you might've said, I've got 15 or when you scheduled it, it was probably a week away from alcohol. Was there a voice that said, you know, what do I have to offer? Who's going to listen to me with seven days? Did you have to push through that? Oh my God. Absolutely. Um, actually when I, I think you mentioned uh, on one of the, uh, podcast interviews that you're looking for people, uh, who have, you know, under two months of sobriety, And, you know, and I said, you know what, I'm going to, I'm going to reach out. And at that time, when I reached out to you, I only had like three or four days. And, um, and that voice was, was so loud. It was like, what, what the heck, what, what are you thinking? Like, who do, who do you think you are? Like, you have nothing to offer. You've been kind of in this, you know, on this journey, like of ups and downs for like four years, you know, without being able to get more than six weeks sober. And, um, but you know what, I did reach out and after I did, um, another voice came out and I'm like, well, watch, Paul is not going to respond. And then you're just going to feel worse about yourself than, you know, you did before you reached out. And, uh, but here I am. I, I feel like I shut that voice down. Um, and you know, all that matters is if I'm able to help someone, um, even one person or, you know, someone can relate to, to my story. And, um, that's all that matters. Yeah. I love it. What a badass move scheduling this interview with 15 days alcohol free, because I have occasionally I reach out to people for interviews and they say, Oh, you know, not now, maybe when I hit six months, maybe when it, the best time to do it is right now. So I want to say, thank you, Alina, you yourself have dropped a whole bunch of truth bombs and value bombs during this interview. I got one more question for you. 
before we hit the rapid fire round. And that is what's on your bucket list in an alcohol-free life? Finishing school, actually, uh, since alcohol prevented me from doing it. Um, and I think living an alcohol-free um, life will enable me to do it. Okay, Alina. Rapid fire round. If you could answer each question within 10 to 30 seconds, are you ready? I'm ready. All right. What's the one thing you've learned about yourself since quitting drinking? Um, that I am enough. I am enough for recovery. All right. What's your best sober moment? Going to a birthday party and watching everybody drink and watching what alcohol does to people after a few drinks um, and realizing that that was me all those years, even when I felt like I was smart or I'm more interesting, but that was a lie. Okay. What's your favorite alcohol-free drink? It had to be coffee, white mocha. <laughs> no hesitation there. All right, Alina, what's the point of life? To figure out the point of life <laughs> or, but, but really to connect to something bigger than yourself. What you seek is seeking you. Okay. What's your favorite 80s or 90s band? You're probably going to laugh at this, but it has to be um, in sync or Backstreet Boys. All right. I love it because I want it that way. All right. What are some of your favorite resources? Cafe RE, definitely um, meditation um, and reading. What has recovery made possible for you? Just really learning about myself and uh, learning who, who, who I am. If you had a pet giraffe, what would you name it? Spots. I like it. Favorite pizza topping? Pepperoni. Okay. What parting piece of guidance can you give to listeners? That you are enough. You are definitely enough for for this recovery journey. Gotcha. There's one more thing I want to ask you before we hear your, you might need to ditch the booze if line. That's about Ukraine. You said you, you, you emigrated here in 1998. You know, the, Ukraine has been in the headlines a lot lately with Russia. Um, how? Give us your take on that. How are you feeling with that? Do you know anybody over there still? And yeah. Yeah, I, I, I'm just I'm just completely heartbroken. And yes, I have a, I have a cousin there and uh, an aunt, and um, they're going through a lot right now. And um, it's just yeah, it's just heartbreaking. And actually, in the beginning of the year, I was struggling too because I felt like I was I was kind of drinking over that as well because it's it's a uh, it's terrible what's happening, and there was nothing I could do to help them. Yeah, that's been hard. I've I've lost a little sleep on that too. Of- of, of, of coming up short of what what can we do? I feel like there's so much available in terms of knowledge that we're, I almost feel like I'm turning my back on something. I, I don't know how to formulate that, but yeah, I just, I just want to ask you about that. Okay, Alina, give listeners your own, you might need to ditch the booze if line before we go. You might need to ditch the booze if you have a big party at your house and you don't remember most of it. All right. That checks out. Good stuff, Alina. Thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today. Best of luck. Thank you so much, Paul. Thanks for doing this. Best of luck. Bye. Listeners, I want to close with one more message. This one goes out to all. We have to stick together. We have to choose love over fear. We have to choose peace over being right. If the conditions are right, we bloom as a species. If the conditions aren't right, we don't. Humans are so close to blooming on a large scale, and addiction, I feel, is fast-forwarding this process. Addiction gives us desperation. It forces us to surrender, to then open up and say yes to the flow of life. Recovery Elevator, go big, because eventually we all go home.
it, being the authentic you, being truly happy, none of that can happen without the in your life. Don't take my word for it. Take a look at your past. Get clear, be clear on why you're doing this, and then go get it. <laughs>